She came to me and said, Okay, if I tell you something, don't cry, okay? Hello and welcome to Holding Heritage. This is a space to explore and have honest conversations around the Asian North American experience. We'll focus on Canadian refugee stories, family, heritage, and bridging generational gaps. My name is Holly. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, hello, and welcome to another Building Heritage episode where we focus on topics through a more present lens, discussing and sharing how we are learning, building, and upholding our heritage today. Today's episode is an exciting one because I get to introduce you to one of my best friends, Annie, and her incredible mom. We share with you today a really remarkable and poignant moment in Annie's mom's refugee story, which was when she was almost abandoned in China while being seven to eight months pregnant with her first child. Then Annie and I hop into conversation around some of her experiences connecting with her own parents and reflecting on her cultural identity and the sense of community that we were lucky enough to grow up with. So before we get into the story with her mom, a little bit of context on Annie and I's friendship is Annie and I met when we were in elementary school, around the age of eight, and we grew up in a small town on Vancouver Island. Growing up, I always really admired Annie. She is intelligent, funny, beautiful, and has an incredibly strong sense of self when it comes to the things she loves doing, is curious about, and the things she has capacity for. She's that type of naturally talented and highly adaptive person where she can immerse herself completely into things she's interested in and gets really good at them in no time at all. Everything from watercolor paints to photography to whipping up a mouth-watering feast of food. We've been close ever since we were little kids and now she's really like a sister to me, one of my biggest supporters in everything that I do and I'm so grateful to have her in my life. Throughout our childhood growing up, and especially as we get older, I can see where a lot of her strength and personality comes from. Her mom. Annie's mom, she's got one of the most welcoming and infectious smiles and laughs I've ever encountered. Her bubbly and outgoing exterior, though, does not at all take away from the strength, resilience, and perseverance of her character and life journey. This incredible lady, as you will hear shortly, has really fought for everything she has today, for herself, her children, and her life here in Canada. Annie's mom's Cantonese name is Ho Soigyu, but to most, she is known as Ha Jie. A sweet story of how she ended up with this nickname is that when she was young, her grandfather would call her So Ha, which is an olden days Cantonese way of calling a baby, similar to the English expression of sweetie. So this name stuck with her throughout her upbringing and life now. So let's get into the story. These are the basics that you need to know. She grew up in North Vietnam and was from an ethnic Chinese family. In 1978, she married her husband, Annie's dad, at the age of 23. Shortly after, due to the rising tensions between China and Vietnam, they had to leave the North. They left on foot, walking across the north border into China. At that time, China was accepting ethnic Chinese refugees into the country with open arms. 
What would happen once they crossed the border, often gathering in large groups of refugees, Chinese soldiers would split them into groups and bring trucks to transport them to these sort of working farms where they would live and work in whatever specific trade the farm specialized in. For example, tea farms and poultry and pig farms were a couple of the options. In Cantonese, these farms were referred to as a nongcheng. At that time, life in China was tough. Being a refugee in these farms and even just a regular citizen in China wasn't ideal. Many refugees through the grapevine began to think of ways that they could escape to Hong Kong, where many other ethnic Chinese refugees at that time were being accepted into refugee camps and sponsored to other countries. There was one specific harbor in China called Bakhoi, and that is where most refugee boats were leaving to Hong Kong from. So at the last Nongcheng that she was staying at in China, she describes it as a sort of farm where they had these straw huts as shelters to stay in. They were tiny and would only really fit one bed and nothing much else. She was there with her husband, and at the time, she was seven to eight months pregnant. About a month into living at this Nongcheng, her husband left. She waited and waited, and he never returned. The clip that you're about to hear is a conversation between Annie and her mom. So we were living there for about a month, and then your dad left. At the time, I was thinking I was going to give birth soon. When he left, he didn't even tell me. And he didn't come back. So I was thinking, hmm, why has he not come back yet? I even wrote him letters. And he didn't respond. I even was saving pork and chicken for him at the farm. He didn't come back so long that the pork went moldy. The chicken even went moldy. The whole month he didn't come back. Nobody told me anything, and then one day there was this old grandma. Super, super early in the morning one day, she came to me and said, Okay, if I tell you something, don't cry, okay? I said, what is it? I won't cry. Tell me. She said, someone saw your husband. He's out and about. When I heard it, I wasn't sure if I should tell you, but if I don't tell you, you won't be able to find him. I said, just tell me. Don't be afraid. Just tell me. And when I heard that, I was shocked. It was so hard for me to hear, super hard to process. So then I went to go ask a friend that we had visited earlier. I said, you have to tell me. The other day, what did he say to you? What did you guys talk about? I didn't know that there was a connection to go to Hong Kong. I didn't understand at that time. 
I hadn't thought about Hong Kong, but your dad did. He wanted to go. But I think that he was scared of me being seven months pregnant. If I can't go, so I can't go. So I'm stuck here. What am I going to do? Ho-guai-ta-yi is a sarcastic phrase. Ta-yi means cute in Cantonese, but in this phrase, it's used sarcastically to describe her absolute outrage towards him. Like, Ugh, how could you do this to me? Don't you care about me? Aren't you even worried about me? Don't you think about me too? So I asked that guy, I said, you gotta tell me. He said, well, okay, there's a connection in Bakhoi. So he said, oh, okay, I understand. So he took two boats, all alone, while I was pregnant. Three days through China, it was not easy. So then I went to this motel. I had some money on me and I was afraid that I was going to get robbed. So I couldn't sleep that night and I couldn't sleep for a few days. I stayed there for an entire week looking for him. And then I ran into one of my distant cousins. He recognized me on the street. I thought he looked like a crazy person out and about walking around. I looked up and I realized that I looked like a crazy person too. He asked me, cousin, where are you going? Me? I'm looking for my husband. But I haven't found him. I don't know where he is. So it ended up that her and her cousin were actually planning on going to the same place. So that's why they were talking about Bakhoi and how to get there. There was only one bus per day. So the next day, I went. When I got there, I knew nothing. So then I was in Bakhoi looking for your dad. That cousin introduced me to one of his friends I could live with in the meantime. I was living there and every day I would buy groceries and help them cook dinner. And while I was living there, all of a sudden all of my money was gone. They stole all my money. They robbed me. I was so lucky, though. Right when I lost all my money, I found your dad. I don't know what I would have done. And then when I found him, his hair was long. He was there fixing boats. 
，去了就可能记着我一直落心就问你去了，你玩你玩棒啊！ Here she uses the term "wang bang," which is a sort of colloquial way to describe someone being deeply inconsiderate, almost thoughtless and irrational. She's expressing her feelings around the facts of the situation, realizing that he had deliberately left her without any care, thought, or concern for her or the baby. <laughs> 系啊，咁你咁你我讲事啦，你就嗰啲你你棍啦，即系即系好要紧啊。So I scolded him, told him how awful he was for leaving me behind and doing all these things behind my back. 系啊，一句所理都唔讲噶嘛，你话几嘢嘛？嗰啲人啊。Not even one sorry. So you tell me, how unreasonable was he? 系啊，诶，冇气我。So he said, "Oh, you're here now, so we can go. Let's go. We can go now." And I thought to myself, "Yeah, of course you'd say that. I found you now." So here she was, 24 years old, seven to eight months pregnant, having fought tooth and nail to track down her husband. Finally. From Bukhoi, eventually they were able to find a boat to Hong Kong. Annie's dad was actually the captain of the boat, and they arrived to Hong Kong in 1979. Shortly after they were admitted to the refugee camp in Hong Kong, she gave birth to her first daughter Jennifer. Her second daughter to follow, Marlo, was also born in Hong Kong, and it wasn't until 1980 that they were sponsored to Canada. Now we'll jump into chatting with Annie. Oh, the genioc! That part like hurts so bad. <laughs> hurts so bad. I love your mom. <laughs> I love. I love my mom. <laughs> yeah, it's so much more fun. I feel like to talk to her these days because she's so into it. She's so open about it. Yeah, she really enjoyed this one. Yeah. She was so funny. Annie and I reflected on how incredible her mom is. Yeah, I, I liked the word that you said earlier. Fiery, very strong-willed, very forceful, <laughs> very very resourceful. But yeah, she's just such a strong lady. Like there was nothing that was gonna keep her from finding my dad. Yeah, and in turn, like protecting Jennifer, like protecting her baby. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that everything she does is for you guys.、Mm-hmm, for sure. Had you asked them about their stories and stuff before, or was it more just like、Not、you know、usually. how that how it's at dinner and then they they'll、yeah. just like come up with a、oh, yeah with one time <laughs> yeah one time I had to dodge this bomb like <laughs> to dodge this bomb yeah because your parents were like how old were they do you know mid twenty when when they oh when they when they, when they left. left my dad was twenty three when he sailed that boat. Twenty-three, and your、She、mom's a year older than your dad, right? So and my dad, my mom is a year older than my dad. Yeah, right. It's so bizarre to think that they were so young, and then to think of us at twenty-three and how、What、useless we were. We were. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh man, do you feel like your parents are、uh, uncomfortable talking about it? Because for me, definitely, a couple years ago, my parents were so superficial, would brush off everything. Right. But now right. It, it feels different. It does feel different. I think they enjoy telling the stories more now, and especially if we're showing interest. Yeah, it definitely feels different. Do you think that's a change in them, or、like、a change in the way that you're more interested in it now? 
Or kind of like a, a little bit a of bit both. Of both. Like you said. Yeah. yeah, I would say it's a bit of both because also we're getting older, right? Yeah. And it's not like we're teenagers anymore who don't care about any of their experience and just yeah. so self-involved and so focused on what we have going on that we don't think about all the things that have gone on for them right that's also it's that thing as well as as you get older you see your parents more as people yeah and not just your parents yeah when do you Mm -hmm. feel like that shifted for you I don't think it was a specific moment it was just a gradual thing but I think just this whole project Holly it's definitely encouraged me to look a bit deeper and ask more questions and see what that was all about. Yeah, so we can tell the kids and mm-hmm. teach them about it and everything. In contrast to Annie's mom's love for storytelling, her dad is a little bit more of a man of few words, not unlike many other Asian fathers out there. But my dad, who's super quiet (laughs) when I ask him the questions he just answers them pretty simply and then that's it and then he's just staring at me (laughs) in my head I'm like think of another question follow-up question what can I ask now that's so funny I think he has a lot of opinions in there yeah he just doesn't voice them yeah how has it made you because I know you were saying before it's made you think more about your cultural identity and how you feel about it Like, I don't think you and I have had in-depth conversation about how you felt about your cultural identity when you were young. And from my point of view, I think I've told you this, like, I've always kind of felt, like, envious Mm -hmm. of, like, you and how open you were about, I don't know, just liking Chinese things, especially when we were younger. Yeah. 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 I think that may have had a lot to do with having my older siblings, right? Because they were so much older. Yeah. Right. Because mm-hmm. I came along when everything was all good. Right. Like I didn't have to experience any of the hardship my parents experienced. But my siblings, you know, coming over early 80s, my parents being just brand spanking new refugees, not knowing anything about Canada. Yeah not having any money and then my siblings were left a lot of the time when my parents would go work for like days at a time. Wait, so was Marlo born in Hong Kong too? Yeah, she was born in Hong Kong. So I think they were in the refugee camps for about two years. So they were both born in the refugee camp? Yeah. Oh, wow. Jeffrey was born in Canada. In Comox. Yeah. Okay. And there's me. Yeah. 13 years later. So Annie is one of four siblings, her two eldest sisters born in Hong Kong and her older brother born shortly after arriving to Canada. Despite growing up in a very predominantly Caucasian town, Annie recalls not ever really struggling with feeling conflicted about her cultural identity, and a lot of that perhaps was influenced by having her older siblings. Most memories that she has around her culture and heritage were ones of joy and being reunited with her sisters. Let's say we were like what, eight, nine when we met. So yeah, Marlo and Jennifer, they were mid-twenties, early mid-twenties. So were they encouraging in terms of like, keep your culture or like how specifically do you think they contributed to that? It wasn't, it wasn't ever like a specific conversation or anything like that. And even at that time, at 10 years old, you're like, what even is culture? 
right? Yeah. Like that, yeah. Those are abstract concepts to you. But I think it's just more in how we had our family time, things like Chinese New Year, how we would celebrate Christmas or all like the different traditions that we had. I just always had really good memories of that. Yeah, it was always fun. And especially then too, because at that time my, my sisters were out of the house. So they would always come back on like Christmas and then we'd do all like our, you know, Chinese food Christmas Aww, deal yeah. or like Chinese New Year. And it would always be such a big event to be oh, they're coming back. And then my mom would always like make joke for them or they'd call my mom and be like, this is what we want to eat. <laughs> and my mom would like make it and they would show up at like 9, 10 p.m. And we'd just like sit around the kitchen table and we're just like eating. And- yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. I didn't know yeah. that. I really don't feel like I had that much of a struggle in that. Like, oh, I wanted to be white. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Like, I love that for you. <laughs> Thank you. So much. Like, when we were at school with, like, other white kids, yeah. how did you feel about, like, did you ever think about how you felt, like, different? Did you ever feel different? I'm sure I did. I'm trying to think of, like, moments where I felt other. Yeah. And I'm sure there were, but I don't know if it was big enough impact for me to remember. Right. Apparently. Well, and, and I think that's a big part of your personality, too. I mean, we've always talked about that. Like, you mm-hmm. have always been self-sufficient and self-confident. I like what I like, which is amazing. Yeah, I think that's a lot of in your natural being of who you mm-hmm. are. In the small yeah. town where we grew up on Vancouver Island, our families were lucky to actually have a small community of other refugee families from Vietnam, many of them having very similar backgrounds and language dialects. As kids, for us in school, this sort of created this unspoken knowing of all of the other Asian kids and their siblings and which family they were from. You would always know who the Asian kids were at school. Yeah. Like us, we knew each other because our parents knew each other, but you'd also know like, oh, that kid in first grade, you like kind of know about them, but Yeah, it wasn't like we hung out with them. It was just, oh, that's so-and-so's like kid or whatever. Sure. Sure. And but you kind of get a feel for like um, their background and if they were like sponsored here or what. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that our community that we grew up in, although like extremely white, had so many different refugee families that we were just like automatically friends, right? Or our parents, I mean. And I I was talking to my dad about it, too. And I was like, what are the chances that all of you people back in, like, the same villages in Vietnam successfully made it onto these boats, successfully made it to Hong Kong, were sponsored to Canada, and now are in this one tiny little town on Vancouver Island. Yeah. And you all speak the same dialect. Like, that's crazy to me. But it's, like, such a nice community. How has opening up more conversation with your parents about their refugee experiences been Mm -hmm. for you? And how how do you feel about that? I love it. I feel like it just makes me feel so connected and so close to my parents. But I think it's also me too as I get older that I want to get closer with my parents. And I think there's always that language barrier. Yeah. It's also that they're older. So I feel like I didn't have the relationship with my parents that I feel like lots of people do. Mm-hmm. And I just always thought of them as they're the people that gave me a place to live and feed me. Right. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. Like I didn't feel super connected to my parents for a long time. I'm really enjoying getting to know them. Yeah. More. 
And I think similar to what you were saying before is as we grow older, we realize that they're more than just the people who feed us yeah, and exactly. they have feelings and they have goals. And I think that was a big thing for me, like realizing that my parents had feelings. I was like, what? yeah, I know it's such a bizarre concept, right? Because they're always just a parent to you. Yeah. And then you don't think about their motivations or their struggles or yeah, anything Or their like life that. before being your parent. Exactly. How do you think it's affected your feelings or thoughts around your own cultural identity? Like, do you think it's deepened it a bit more? I feel like it's definitely deepened it. I think having this context for all these, you know, stories told over dinner, like many, many years ago, makes such a big difference. Mm -hmm. It just feels so much bigger, the experience that they went through. Because, you know, my mom, especially, she laughs while telling her stories, right? And she's just always like, oh, these are just goosey, you know? It's just a story. But um, yeah, it feels bigger. It feels more real in that sense when I know these are the dates, these are the places, this is what was happening for everybody in this area yeah for sure I feel the same way there's something weirdly like intangible and cool about like seeing photos or mm-hmm. seeing it on exactly. If you're interested in seeing photos and extra context on Annie and her mom and their family, head to holdingheritage.com and check out the episode show notes. There are some really great photos, and like Annie said, there's something about these tangible things that make everything feel so much more real and impactful. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and that it can maybe be a little reminder to all of us of the oftentimes unspoken and unexpressed stories of strength and bravery that many of our parents and families have gone through so that we can be here today. The act of reaching out and asking more questions can open up these incredible doors of family history and I hope that this can encourage you to give it a shot. Like Annie's mom, having fought for her own survival and future lives of her own children, pushing through circumstances and situations of survival that many of us today will never have to personally encounter. These pivotal stories and moments in the past amount to so much here in the present, and we've got everything to be grateful for. So thank you again for tuning in, and I'll meet you back here very, very soon. Bye! music by blue wednesday be sure to check him out he's amazing and as always holding heritage is created produced and geographically based on the traditional ancestral and unceded lands of the slave and comox nations of the coast salish peoples <laughs>